In Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Red-Headed League, the fiery red-headed Jabez Wilson visits Sherlock Holmes with a mystery. Mr. Wilson owns a pawn shop, but in an odd turn of events, he has been spending from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the office of the Red-Headed League, copying pages of the Encyclopedia Britannica. This particular day, he had gone to the League's office and found a sign on the door that the Red-Headed League was dissolved. Sherlock Holmes got his best lead when he learned that Mr. Wilson's very able apprentice was working for half pay, deducing that the apprentice must have reason for wanting his boss out of the store. Holmes and Watson excuse Mr. Wilson and take a trip to the pawn shop. They knock on the door, and as they wait, Holmes taps his walking stick on the ground and he finds the ground quite solid. And then a young Mr. Spaulding greets them, the apprentice they were hearing about. They simply ask for local directions and excuse themselves quickly, and then they take a walk around the block. We find out later that all Holmes wanted by meeting Mr. Spaulding was a look at the knees of his trousers. Seeing that they were, in fact, scuffed and dirty, Holmes concluded that he was working on a tunnel, which did not come out through the front of the house, he determined when he banged his walking stick on the ground. But walking around the block, they found that there was a bank on the side street. And so Holmes and Watson and a few others were able to prevent a bank robbery. To the Pharisees and the Herodians, Jesus was as much a criminal as the malevolent Mr. Spaulding. For Jesus sought to steal not money from a bank, but their traditions, and show people a different type of God than the, than the one their people had worshipped for hundreds of years. In fact, we were told several verses back that they wanted to kill him but they were afraid of the crowd. So though the Pharisees and the Herodians, two Jewish group had groups, had their differences, they had a common enemy. And you know how that draws people together. Jesus of Nazareth was their enemy. Perhaps you remember from a Western civilization class that Rome occupied much of the known world in Jesus' day. The Herodians supported the Roman government. You can guess that since they were named after Herod because Herod was a Roman leader. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were like the French peasants in this story about Louis XIV. It was said that when hunting, Louis XIV never wore gloves, even in the coldest weather. And two peasants watched him ride by. As they did so, one voiced his surprise that the king took no precautions against the cold. And the other replied, why should he? He always has his hands in our pockets. A census tax was the issue the Herodians and Pharisees contrived to entrap Jesus. 
the way Sherlock Holmes entrapped Mr. Spaulding. First, they try to butter him up. Teacher, we know that you are sincere, even though we're not, and teach the way of God in accordance with trust and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. In other words, we trust you to be fair in your response, even though we are two groups that differ. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? The trap is set. If Jesus answers yes, not only will he incur the anger of the Pharisees and others who think the Jews should not pay taxes to Rome, but he sets aside God's law. We'll get back to that. If he answers no, the Herodians would be delighted to accuse him of sedition. As a master teacher, Jesus uses an object lesson to ply his way out of their trap. But first he has to call them hypocrites because he recognizes they are not sincere. You hypocrites, show me the coin used for the tax. Oddly, they had one. A coin like it is pictured on the front of your bulletin. It's a little bit hard to see the letters, but when you find the, word, the letters D-I-V-I, you'll know that that, is, um, that stands for divinity. That is Tiberius Caesar, the divine son of Augustus Caesar. And on the flip side, it says Maxim Pontiff, uh, high priest. And so you can see then why these Pharisees didn't like this particular coin because it was proclaiming Caesar as divine and not their God. Perhaps if you remember, if you ever learned the Ten Commandments, there was one that said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt make no graven images. Jesus evades their attempt at entrapment and teaches them and us something about ourselves and something about God. Give, therefore, to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. Last week in our Sunday school class, we watched a video called Get Service. It started out with a guy having a typically bad day. He's backing out of the driveway, and he almost runs over the kid going back behind him with a skateboard. He thinks someone needs to talk to that kid's parents if they're ever home. Then he's annoyed by slow traffic and then a long line at the coffee shop, and we're set up to realize how self-absorbed this guy is. While he's waiting for his coffee, a mysterious messenger appears and hands him a black glasses case. On the outside, it says in large letters, get service. And then the messenger disappears. Well, the guy opens the glasses case and he takes out the glasses. And when he puts them on, as he looks at the other people in the coffee shop, words pop up inside the lenses that say things about the people that he's looking at. Things like, 
avoids relationships for fear of pain, or recently lost his job, or struggling with a sense of purpose. And there's more, and the guy thinks, what is this? And what can I do about that? He's stunned, and he jumps, and he jumps up and runs out of the coffee shop with the glasses on, where he encounters the cigar-smoking tough guy and reads, just needs a hug. And then he sees a forlorn-faced woman walking down the sidewalk, and it says, grieving her best friend. And then on his drive, he passes a girl on the side of the road. The lonely girl watches him as he goes, and the information about her says, ran from home three days ago. Shaken, the guy pulls back into his driveway and is about to take off and put away the glasses when he looks inside the case, inside it, and it reads, get it? He puts the glasses back on. And he turns over and he sees the same boy on a skateboard riding down the road, just looking over at him. And the lenses read, just needs someone to care. And so finally, he gets it. And he calls out to the boy, hey, buddy. The boy stops and he walks over to him and he bends down and he starts caring about someone besides himself. So wonder with me, if we were to walk around our neighborhoods and look around with our lenses, we might imagine the houses showing the names of their mortgage companies and the cars showing the names like Haley Toyota or Rick Woodson Honda. Walking in our homes, we might look at one piece of furniture and think how that was our mother's and at a child and imagine we'd see the names of the parents? But what if we each had a special pair of glasses to be able to see with Jesus' eyes who owned all these things? (laughs) If the lenses in these glasses differentiate differentiate among the owners of various things, how would the lenses read when we looked around? Do you think everything we see would have one of two owners, gods or the emperors? So if I looked through my special glasses at the desk in my home office, I wouldn't see my mom's name because she's the one who gave me the desk. I would see God's. If I opened the fridge and looked inside at all the food, those containers wouldn't have my name on them just because I paid for them. There would be a flash of words on every item that said, God's. And if I looked at my children, I wouldn't see Brian's and my names on them. I would see God's. What do you think of that? Is it too sappy to say that everything that we see belongs to God? The Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 24.1 when he writes to the Corinthians, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 
as a father's birthday approached, he suggested that the family get him a gift that the whole family could get something out of, and so they bought him a new wallet. <laughs> our greatest challenge may come when we open our wallets to the cash and checks and credit cards and read what our glasses say. What do you think we would read? Would it say two-thirds gods, one-third emperors? That's my tax bracket. <laughs> what, what do we own? This is not a surface issue. According to our legal system, we may own our cars, our furniture, and our bank accounts. But when Jesus tells us to give to the emperors the things that are the emperors, and to God the things that are God's, is he simply talking about paying taxes? When we give it some thought, we know better. We and our forebears paid for these beautiful stained glass windows and pew cushions and the hundreds of pipes in the organ that enhance our worship. So do we own these? Whose name would we see if we looked through our special glasses? Your tithes and offerings for the, through the church help pay for the church staff. They pay for the church staff members listed on the back of a bulletin. So do you own us? When we step outside today, we may encounter a neighbor walking her dog or another pushing his baby in a stroller. To whom do, those, do they belong? Do they know they are God's children? We're entering the season of giving. The grocery stores tell us because they have a whole big section of Halloween candy. We'll be giving out candy on Halloween. We'll be giving gifts at Christmas. And for church members, we'll be pledging a portion of our income to God through the church. It's not an easy topic, but it's a necessary one. If we think the ministry of this church should remain strong, and if we really believe that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, who owns what's in our bank accounts? Who owns our homes? Who owns our family? Who owns our time? Who owns our talents? Whose name would we see when we look through our special glasses? Let's pray. We know, O oh God, that you are a God of love. And you are a God of grace. You give us so much more than we deserve. We pray that you would help us to live thankfully. And help us to live joyfully. And help us to live generously. Recognizing that you are the creator and giver of all good gifts. You share it with us and then offer us the responsibility to share it with others. Continue to teach us what that means. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Holy Lord. Amen.